Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of Gen C is sponsored by Chainalysis. Welcome to Gen C. Gen C is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk, and our co-host is Avery Akinini from Vayner3. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Gen C. This episode was recorded live on stage at Consensus 2023. Our guest is Juana Ruxandra. Juana is the chief digital officer for Warner Music Group. In this conversation, we go over Juana's past, starting out as a quant portfolio manager at BlackRock, getting to Warner Music, going to Universal Music Group, back to Warner Music. And she has such a great perspective on the state of digital music, especially as it relates to NFTs and to Web3 and to sort of artists and fandom. And in addition, we talk a bit about how AI may be able to utilize blockchain for artists to prove provenance and to sort of secure rights into our digital future. So with that, let's get to it. This is a special episode of Gen C with Avery and myself recorded live on stage at Consensus 2023. Thank you for joining us today for the first ever live taping of Generation C. I'm Avery Akinini here with Sam Ewan, um, and we're super excited to be doing our first live series with this incredible guest. Juana, could you introduce our, yourself and tell, uh, tell us a little bit about you? Yes, I am very excited to be the first. This is exciting. Um, hey guys, so I lead digital at Warner Music Group um, and business development. So that includes uh, understanding uh, and driving towards where our strategy is going and where digital revenue is going. So strategy side, and then we drive the negotiations um, with our biggest partners, the TikToks, Apples, YouTubes of the world, Spotify's. And then we're also trying to drive into incremental revenue streams. So NFTs, AI, all of those catchphrases um, my team focuses on. And then the last piece is uh, M&A. So we do a lot of investing as well. Sounds like you have a very full plate across a diverse <laughs> array of different things. Um, and how did you get into this? Like, how did you sort of build your career towards innovation in the music industry? Where were you before Warner? <laughs> um, yeah. So I came a very circuitous route. Um, 
taking a step back. I was born in Romania. Um, I moved to the States when I was really young um, and I didn't speak English, but I did play violin. My parents were uh, tiger parents that put me on violin when I was four. Um, and uh, violin was the way I communicated and music just became like deeply ingrained in me. Um, so I was working in uh, music companies through college, but when I graduated was 2003 um, and that was like Napster time and it wasn't very inspiring. Uh, what was going on in the music industry was pretty um, conservative um, and I just wasn't, you know, that interested in what was going on. And so I took a step away. Uh, and I went to BlackRock for seven years where I was a portfolio manager. Um, and then I got into music. And so um, in 2012, I started really looking back into what I was passionate about and went to music. So, Juana, first off, I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of fandom. Um, actually, I think we have a quick video to show. Can we cue that up? What's up, y'all? It's the icy ghost, sweetie. In the metaverse, I was able to just come down and do my thing. The opportunities are endless. So music is nothing without fandom. Fandom for musicians used to be just playing shows. Clearly now it has transformed and, and sort of come to so many different types of platforms. Um, I'm interested in just like the idea of how you as a label have to sort of cultivate fan experience across so many different platforms. How do you as an innovator think about it? Yeah, um, so I'm generally history based, so I'll just like take it back a little bit. Um, the way in which music uh, was experienced a hundred years ago before it was productized, right, was an experience. It was a show. It was patrons supporting artists and artists and communities building together. Um, and at some point, people understood that you can make money through music and they started productizing music, music and putting it on various formats. At the time, the format was vinyl and vinyl could only hold a certain amount of uh, content and it held a song and it held an album and that's how we have songs and albums. And so with each new technology, what has happened is that music has become um, productized in different formats. What I think definitively is that we've defined music as 
um, a song and an album, but music is actually defined as an experience and that's where music is and what it is coming back to with each new technological change. So I actually think we're coming back to the roots of what music ultimately is, which is artists and fans getting together and forming communities. Um, and we see that a lot, right? Like one of our biggest artists is The Dead. Um, and that community is deeply ingrained in part in that artist, right? Like the community is defined. There's a clear sense of who they are and what they experience. They're part of the um, content creation process and the event creation process. Um, and, and the band understands who they are and understands what they're looking for. And so like that community experience has always been kind of integral to various um, artists. And now we think that it's becoming more and more so. And so with um, new technologies, we think like that fandom experience is a big piece of the puzzle. The thing that's happening now is that um, we're actually able to monetize fandom in a way that we weren't before, right? Like music evolved in the streaming ecosystem in a fairly conservative way. Um, it was evolved from, you know, the Napster times where the industry had just been overwhelmed and taken apart by new technology. And so then when new platforms came in and said, hey, we want this model, it's called streaming, the music industry was pretty necessarily conservative and risk averse. And the thing that evolved was where we are today, which is these streaming platforms that are really focused on access and friction as the big piece of the monetization puzzle. But once um, you get to a paywall or once you have an ad, that engagement piece isn't monetized anymore, right? Like for gaming, every moment that you're in, I'm a big gamer, every moment that you're in that game is monetized. Um, and, you know, 80% of the um, music or game monetization these days is in-app, is that engagement. And so we definitively think in the music industry that it's like the, that music and the monetization of music is a very small piece of the puzzle. And that if we start expanding from the monetization of songs and albums to the monetization of fandom, that we can drive exponential value for our artists and for our fans. I love that. Um, and thank you for giving us that history lesson. Very interesting. Wanna, I want to flip back to the video that you just played because I actually thought that that was really interesting and clearly a cultural moment that Americans... Yeah resonate with so much. Um, you brought musicians, you brought a brand sponsor, you brought, um, you know, the, the gaming ecosystem together. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that campaign, how that came to life? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, what we think at Warner definitively is, you know, that will eventually be that our hardware devices will eventually turn into glasses or will turn into contacts or whatever it is, right? But like eyewear that uh, allows for a digitally augmented space that is physical as well is a key part of our future. Um, and so we're spending a lot of time building in the, you know, quote unquote metaverses of today, which are the Robloxes, Fortnites, you know, any, Call of Duty, you know, like sandboxes, et cetera. Like we're spending a lot of time in those spaces to try to build and develop strategy. Um, so a couple of years ago, we made an investment in Roblox. We're actually the first um, non, first strategic like media company pre-IPO and only to then invest in Roblox because we wanted to hold hands and partner and build and um, understand and experiment in the space um, just because we understood it was so important. Um, and so we've been working with them for a couple of years. At the end of last year, um, we started speaking to uh, GameFam, which is a big developer um, on Roblox and has had a tremendous amount of success. Uh, and um, 
and the NFL, and they wanted to do something big around the Super Bowl and wanted to do something virtual around the Super Bowl. So that event was with our um, one of our biggest artists, Sweetie, um, and it was and is the only virtual um, Super Bowl concert that um, <laughs> they've put on. Um, it was a great success. Um, Sweetie, as you saw, was amazing to work with. Um, and and had you know uh, millions of people come that first day. We streamed it um, on Friday before the Super Bowl, and then it was streaming. Like the show was constantly streaming, but that live audience was concur- uh, was of concurrent viewers was incredible. And then um, obviously we had. Um, you know, various opportunities to engage, um, like virtual merchandise opportunities. Um, And it was great. Yeah, we're really excited about it. And we're really excited that it was such a tentpole moment around a physical experience that everyone has in real life, right? Like that moment and the ability to like augment physical with digital is a key part of what we're thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Not everybody can come to the Super Bowl. Not everybody can come, you know, even really cool places like here at Consensus. So, um, you know, I think people have various definitions of Web3. Would you say what we saw on the screen is an example of sort of a Web3 immersive experience activation that fits within your sort of Web3 vision? Or would you just put that sort of part of a broader innovation bucket? Yeah, um, (laughs) I mean, I think like the evolution of the web, right, is like ultimately Web3. And I know a lot of people focused on blockchain as being a piece of it. When we think at Warner about like where the world is going, what we focus is on is the consumption and the creation pattern as opposed to necessarily the technology. And so we're constantly focused on what are our consumers doing? What are our artists doing? And then how do we evolve um, and augment those experiences with new technologies? And so the new technologies that we're seeing, I think that we define Web3 previously as like blockchain NFT, now it's a broader bucket of like, here are the new technologies that we're using to um, help us understand how to better uh, better engage audiences and draw audi- audiences and artists together. And so like broader innovation these days, before I would definitely have said metaverse and like as part of our Web3 team, it was metaverse and NFTs. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm very of the yes and mindset when it comes to that. Sam right. and I have a nice spirited debate on a week- <laughs> weekly basis. All the time. Yeah. But I, I, you know what's interesting to me, and I'm, I'm only thinking about it now, but NFTs are all about ownership. Musicians have always benefited from people feeling such pride in ownership, yeah. right? You get that vinyl, you have the, the band tee. Like, it brings you into the community because you can see someone else who has the same thing. When you're in a Roblox and you're doing, did you say Virch? Because I've not heard that. Yeah, virtual merchandise. Virch, Virch Sam. Virch. Yeah, sorry. Uh, when you have Virch, um, <laughs> you know, is there, do you think there's that same stickiness in virtual worlds where, you know, if someone's wearing a Sweetie t-shirt or a dead hat that they're able to have that same kind of connection they do in the real world? Yeah, um, I do think ownership is a key part of like community building, right? And that's one of the key fo- things that we're focused on. One of the things that is at issue with some of these metaverse experiences, right, is that they're so separate from like the day-to-day and those physical, right? And so like our big piece of the puzzle is how do you draw all of these experiences together into a holistic whole to actually like speak authentically to the artists and to the community, but like there should be a live show and then there should be a, you know, whatever virtual show and then there should be other things, right? Like all of these things go hand in hand. Um, With the virtual shows, what we're focused on is trying to draw personalized experiences within them and then also ownership experiences in them, right? Like I would say that in the future, our virtual personas 
may be more important to us than our, you know, physical ones, right? And so then you are really interested in buying that virtual piece of merch, right? Like having those moments, having, and we, I know both of us have talked about POAPs before, right? But like having those moments where you can prove your fandom, where you can prove how big of a fan you are, like all of that's so deeply ingrained in music that now having digital versions of them is really important. So we sort of saw this one, this early wave of musicians coming to NFTs. Yeah. And a lot of the narrative was like, we don't need labels anymore. We're going to sell $50,000 of NFTs and it's more than I would have made on my advance. And, and it felt like it was a little bit short-sighted yeah. because the music industry is a monster, right? right? <laughs> and so I guess my, my, my big macro question is like whether you think that NFTs help or hurt the music business yeah. moving forward. Um, I definitely think that uh, they help, right? And I think that, so there's challenges and opportunities to like all new technologies, right? Our focus at Warner is leaning in and ensuring that we are not stopped from experimenting with and building new technologies because of the challenges. And so of course, yes, there are risks um, to like legacy businesses, right? Like these big businesses. But I also think there's a ton of opportunity in this future world, right? Like what I definitely think is two things. One, um, there's going to be that much more content and there will need to be teams of people for those artists and influencers and creators that want to rise above the noise that can build marketing, like can build their marketing, right? And labels, one of the things that they do is market, right? Like we have global teams of people that are located locally that can market and like have those best practices ingrained in them. And so like, I think that's deeply going to be even more important. I also think that community management is um, a skill and has best practices. If an artist has to be always on and be able to get the right piece of content to the right platform at the right time and the right format, right? Like that is a thing that will need teams of people to be able to support. And some artists, like there will be tools and there will be services. And then there, for a lot of artists that just want to go direct, and then there will be artists that have their own teams. And then there'll be artists at the top, you know, that have big teams of people behind them that are helping them to manage their communities. And that's where I think a label has always come in. It's really interesting you went into community management for, you know, artists who have NFTs because yeah. I've perceived this many times over and, you know, at my company, Vayner3, we work very, like, almost entirely with Fortune 500 brands, but we've actually had a lot of um, talent reach out to us of, oh, I want to drop an NFT totally. project. And we never thought we would be the right fit there because we couldn't over-communicate enough the level of expectation around community management. Yeah. And I think that that comes from the sort of NFT native or Web3 native crowd being so digital first and digital native where yeah. they expect this sort of always on communication layer. And, you know, from my perspective, that hasn't historically been how artists have engaged with their fans, right? Like I sell you something, now I am done. Thank you. I'm moving on. And, and I think the perception for, uh, especially in like NFT summer a year or two ago, was that this was a lifetime membership pass with always on access. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of visual artists um, and creators have been overwhelmed by the um, expectation around community management. Yeah. Is that something that you heard from your artists? For sure. Um, and it is, and it's different, right? Like kids these days consume music um, and create in different ways, right? Like people are far more active as consumers and creators than I definitely was, right? And so that is true of our artists too. There are artists that are in their prime that are still focused on um, 
like one of the key things, right, is like they're focused on every moment that they experience with a fan. And so they're very proprietary about like how those experiences happen, right? Like how they um, show themselves and show up to their fans. And the world that we're talking about today is like, you're constantly on, you can't be so proprietary and you can't approve everything. And you always have to have these moments, right? And so like, I think it's hard for some artists to get through that hurdle. I think as younger creators and younger artists come through, there will be um, more and more opportunity for them to dig in. But just to say it, like there are amazing creators and amazing artists today that are also experimenting. And there are some that will want to stay with what they're doing today. And that's like, there's still space for, you know, creators that are creating at the, you know, at this level. I'm just saying, I think that in 20 years, we will see that fans will demand more from the creators that they're following and that creators, um, will have more influence across all of the things that they have influence over, right? Like creators are tastemakers at this point across a lot of different things. Um, and with that influence can come value and monetization. Um, but again, like it doesn't have to, like it's not one size fits all and not every creator that we're uh, working with, not every artist has um, the same interests and the same community and all of those things, right? So what you're saying is not every artist needs an NFT project. Yes, <laughs> totally. But um, for the most part, not right now, yeah. <laughs> Web3 offers budding opportunities for brands to create more value for their customers, engage fans, and build immersive community. But that doesn't come without its risks. Chainalysis helps Fortune 500 brands better understand and manage the risks in Web3 through proactive assessments, on-chain monitoring, investigations, training, and more, so that they can focus on building a roadmap for long-term growth. Learn more about how Chainalysis can help your company grow in Web3 at chainalysis.com slash gen C. Just one last question on that, and, and then I, we want to chat AI for a second, but with you know, do you see in the future that there is a, a Web3 Spotify? Or is there a Spotify that knows you have a token and unlocks a special playlist or video or access? Where, where do you think it, it falls? I think that if it's a Web3 Spotify, and by the way, Spotify is an incredible partner, but I just don't think that's how the world is evolving, right? Like, I think that's one of the issues with Web3, what uh, with music and how short-sighted it was over the last couple of years, which is that you had a lot of partners are coming in the door saying like, hey, we've got spot the Spotify model. We're just going to tack on NFTs to it. Like, here's a win, right? And that's not what, again, like the world is evolving, consumers are evolving, creators are evolving, and the product is evolving. Spotify is evolving its own product model, right? And so um, uh, taking today and then just adding NFTs, which I think a lot of people were doing at the time, is, is uh, not inspiring and it's not going to work and not going to be long-term successful. And that's certainly like not what we're focused on, right? Like every conversation we have with an artist um, is what do you want to do? What do you want to build? What's your story? What's your audience want? Like how do we, if we want to use web three technologies to evolve and augment, sometimes the answer is very much no. And sometimes it's yes, this can absolutely, absolutely help, but it's got to be creative and it's got to be very specific to that artist. Like nothing is one size fits all at this point. Yeah, and, and the artists that you work with can really move the needle on culture right. in so many ways, right? Yeah. Like some of these massive names then spawn a whole slew of, of others who are inspired by what they've seen. Yeah. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about AI. Very hot topic these days. Yeah. We were just chatting backstage. You and I were both sharing how, like, I think every industry is going to be dramatically disrupted by what we're seeing in the generative AI space. Um, how are you, how do you think very broadly, like the AI industry, that what we're seeing in AI is going to affect the music industry? Obviously, we hear about Drake, we hear about Grimes, we hear about some of these big sort of headline grabbers. But what's your take sort of being right at the epicenter of these conversations yeah. in the music industry? Definitely at the epicenter. It's been <laughs> an interesting few weeks. Um, what else, like what I think definitively, right, again, there's opportunities and challenges with every new technology. I think the thing that's most exciting is um, two things, right? One, um, as young people, we created a lot. And like the experience of creation was something that was really important to us. Like I used to draw all the time. And then at some point I realized I was terrible at drawing and I stopped drawing. And I think that what's exciting about um, AI is that it's putting the experience of creation back in the hands of adults um, in a way that you're no longer shamed, like ashamed about the final product, but that experience is actually a moment that people lean into. And I think that's really exciting. The other thing that I think is exciting for the music industry is that um, just like, you know, AI evolved all of us into photographers because like all of our photographs on Instagram are amazing. I think that um, AI will allow everyone to create music uh, and sound off their phones. And I think that's really exciting because it will bring new types of creativity. It'll bring new types of subgenres. It'll like open up and democratize creativity in a way that we haven't seen in sound and music um, in uh, some time. Uh, both of those things I think are really exciting or game-changing for the music industry. It is never a bad thing if more people are excited about music and excited to engage with music. That's never a bad thing for an industry, right? The things that are a challenge and the things that you're seeing now are things that will always be a challenge for any new technology. And they're the growing pains of new technology. And they're things that the music industry will have to um, work through with these partners, right? Like one... Uh, the, our artist's music and our songwriter's music is copywritten. It is um, something that can be licensed for models or otherwise, but otherwise, like, these models that are using artists and songwriters' work to train new types of AI are infringing, and there should be a license experience for that, right? And then on the other side, obviously, on the vocal piece, there's, um, you know, Again, I don't think that we're ever going to stop people from experimenting, and that's not uh, the goal. But I think that there's a tracking issue, a reporting issue, and a license issue that we have to work through in our industry. And that's generally true of the industry. Like, the, like the industry needs to mature in a real way to be able to um, enable AI at scale in the way that it should be. But, you know, we, we spoke, I think, in our, in our call about this. I'm really interested in how blockchain can help this, yeah. right? You know, the idea of provenance on all the information being ingested, an artist's voice, a track. And then, the, you know, in the same way that the music industry had to figure out digital rights around radio, yeah. right, and movies and video games, it feels like there is an opportunity to utilize a verifiable source of truth. Like, is that where your head goes with this? That's one of the most things about exciting, one of the most exciting things about blockchain. The thing about the industry today, the music industry today, right, is that um, there is a need for broader transparency and a need for better tracking and reporting around songs, but not just songs, like the pieces of songs, right? Like the drum, the vocal, all of those things, which are called stems, all of those things need to be able to be tracked across the internet to 
allow artists to get value from the music that they're creating. And, you know, again, like once that happens, um, then we've got a really robust ecosystem. And I think the way that that evolves and the way that um, tracking and reporting will evolve and the best way it can is through blockchain. Like I don't see opportunities outside of really digging in there, but it's going to take time. Like, right, like that's a structural thing that I think will be one of the best value adds that blockchain could add to the industry, but it will take time because everyone has to get on the same page on what we're doing and what we're evolving and all these platforms do and all the industry does. And so it's just going to take some time. But yeah, totally. I think blockchain is deeply ingrained into like that future. So just as a final takeaway, we have only a couple minutes left. I mean, if there are musicians in the, in the audience or people who are building platforms, you know, what are your thoughts on how they should be thinking about entering Web3, getting involved with both, either as an artist or with labels? What's sort of the three takeaways they should think about in the Web3 space, in music specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think the key takeaway, again, is what we mentioned, right? Um, don't, don't, do web, don't do anything in Web3 just for Web3's sake. You have to understand who your audience is and start communicating with them generally. Um, go where they are and start understanding what they're looking for. That could be in a physical space or it could be on Discord or it could be on whatever, right? Like TikTok, et cetera. Start communicating with them there and then the goal is to bring them into these spaces with you. When we're talking through and building these experiences on Roblox, the, we're never just like throwing people into Roblox, right? Like we're having to have the community and build that community first in other ways. And then we start driving people into these experiences. So definitely don't, um, you know, just drop NFTs and expect that people are going to be excited about it. Um, don't go into a metaverse experience and have that be a one-off, right? Like if you're looking to build your brands, then start with um, a long-term roadmap for what that brand is and how you can consistently communicate with your community in a way that will excite them. And the other piece is like the, your community should be a part of the creation process. Make sure that they're also doing a lot of the work for you, like their community. And that's the ownership piece, right? Like if you can activate the community by having them own a piece of the community, then, um, that's the, you know, that's the win. Um, we want the community to do a lot of the work for content creation and engagement for you. I love that. Three amazing uh, takeaways. Thank you so much for Thank gracing you us with your brilliance. And, <laughs> you know, very fun first live episode of Gen C. We'll see if we should do some more. It was such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. That was fun. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.